it's so good to hear um, ministries that model themselves after Christ. We, we see over and over and over again that Jesus, he doesn't just go and share about who he is, but he's healing the sick and he's feeding people and he's doing all of, he's meeting physical needs as well as meeting the spiritual needs. We know from James that only one is not enough, right? Faith without works is dead. And so we know that these two things work together. Jesus modeled that for us. And it sounds like that's exactly what's happening at the jail. So that's wonderful to hear. Um, so Romans 8, we're going to be picking up in verse 18. <clears throat> so this morning is about suffering. It's about how do we handle it? How do we deal with it? How do we react to it? Because we have a guarantee in Scripture that it is going to be a part of our life, right? Um, it may not be, you may not be suffering every single day with a physical ailment, but every day there is some level of suffering that is happening because we are following Jesus. And it's really unfortunate because there's a movement within Christianity that doesn't quite understand this. Um, it's named different things across the world, but there's this idea of the word of faith movement, right? If we can just pray hard enough or if we have enough faith, God will heal us. He will do the things that we ask for in prayer. Um, and th- I, I, we need to make a very clear and important distinction. Um, when we suffer, we should pray and we should ask God, please Relieve me of this, you know, bring about relief, bring about healing, bring about whatever it is that we are suffering with. But there's a difference between asking God and expecting God to do what we ask him to do. Um, In fact, that is the difference between, I think, what Christianity as a whole has understood suffering and then folks who we might say are a part of that. Um, I was just talking with one of the, uh, somebody who's here this morning for the first time. We're talking about living in Houston and growing up under, you know, just Joel Olstein is a part of Houston, right? For good or for bad, yeah, I don't, but like he writes a book and it's called Your Best Life Now. And I, it's like the title is like, this is the opposite of what Paul is telling us in this passage, right? We, this is not our best life. In fact, we recognize so deeply that it's not our best life that, as Paul says, we are longing for, we are hoping for something that is coming, like, in the future. Today is not our best life. Um, We are following after God and we are serving him, but we need to recognize what suffering is, how do we respond to it. And so the first thing I want to do is, is make that distinction. Are you asking God to relieve it or are you expecting him to? If you're asking him to, you're, I think you're on the right path, right? We, we take the, the, the attitude of Christ in the garden when he says, Lord, if there is any way to take this from me, please do it. But the attitude of us is not my will but yours, right? Every time we pray, every time we ask God something, that should be the attitude that we have. Lord, please, I I have prayed for years now that he would bring relief to my father, whether that be in healing or in death. But but I pray all the time, and then I just, I always want to make sure that my heart's in the right place. But Lord, just whatever you want to do with him, to him, he is is your child. It's out of my control. And so, but if we walk down the other path, if we, and, and I, I think that it is a temptation for all of us. Right? I know I have done this. The expectation. God, there's something not happening in my life the way I want it to. And not only do we pray and ask God something, but we say, God, I expect you to do this. Now, we may not use those words, but that's where our heart is at. 
And, and let me just give you some, um, some ways in which we can, we can notice that in ourselves. Because I think when we notice it, we should put it down, right? We should not allow that to continue. Um, if we pray and we pray and we say, well, maybe God just didn't hear me. I'm going to pray louder and I'm going to get more people to pray with me so that God will hear me as if God is our child. What happens, fathers, when you call out to your son and they don't respond? Hopefully, we think the best. Oh, he, mu- he must not have heard me. Like, I-, I call out to Micaiah across the house, and he doesn't respond, no movement, no nothing, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He just must not have heard me. So what do we do? You cry out a little louder with a little more forcefulness. Don't treat God that way. Don't pray and say, oh, well, he must not have heard me because he didn't answer the prayer and he didn't do the thing I asked. Therefore, he must not have heard me. Please don't ever allow that level of arrogance into your life. God hears our prayers. We're going to see that in a minute in Exodus 2. But God hears us when we pray. He knows what we need before we even ask for it. So don't think, oh, I prayed, there was no response. I... The no response is based off the fact that he didn't do what we wanted, right? This is the wrong wrong path to take. When we're thinking about prayer, when we're thinking about our suffering, we go to God and we ask, but we don't expect. So there's a couple of things that we'll see. Um, And really, the meat of what we're looking at this morning is in verse 18, right? This is like the theological punch, and then all the rest of it is sort of explaining how does this work itself out. So verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So this is the theological truth that Paul wants us to see. And it's going to work itself out in a lot of other things. But let's deal with 18 to start with. So the first thing to see is that we should not be surprised. When suffering comes, we should not be surprised. Why is is Paul even making this statement, right? He's bringing us back to verse 17 that we talked about last week, right? If children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, we may also be glorified with him. He makes that statement, and now he wants to explain what he's talking about. We are children of God provided that we suffer with Christ. It is inevitable. If you are a child of God, if you are following after Christ, you are going to suffer. It looks different for all of us. It may not be every day, but we are going to suffer. Right? There's no, there should be no mystery about this. Christ tells us very clearly, if you were to follow after me, you should take up your cross daily. Right? That is an expect, expectation that we have if we are going to be a Christian. That we are taking up the cross And there's no beautiful part other than the fact of the sacrifice. The physicalness of that cross, nothing nothing good happened in the physicalness, right? All All of the things that happened to Christ were beating and suffering and all of those things. Now the beauty of it is in that we have salvation on the other end of it. But what Christ is talking about in that statement is, be ready to take up this very heavy burden and it's going to weigh you down and it's going to be painful. And how do we deal with that? So we shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. The Bible promises it to us. And so I have a few questions that I want you to consider, right? You're the only one who can answer these things. Hopefully, they'll either be an encouragement or a challenge or maybe a little bit of both. But is that true? Are you surprised 
when the suffering comes in your life? Have you prepared yourself? If you know that it's true, are you preparing yourself for suffering? Or are you just, when, when times are good, when you're sort of on the mountaintop, and you're like, well, life is good, and you're not preparing for the fact that one day you're going to go tumbling down that thing into a valley, right? It's going to happen. We all know it's coming. Are you preparing your heart? Are you preparing your mind for the day when you come crashing off of the mountaintop back into the valley again? Are you ready for it? You know it's coming. Are you preparing your heart? Are you only reading your Bible when you're in the valley? Or are you reading and praying when you're on the mountaintop knowing that that day is coming? Lord, I, things are great, but there is coming a day. I don't know how soon. Please prepare my heart. Strengthen my faith now so that when the day comes, when I'm tempted to walk away from it, when I'm tempted for it to be weak, Lord, that you will strengthen it now so that I will be ready, that I will be prepared. Something I like to do um, is I, I like to read like cover to cover in the Bible trying to find sort of one idea. Um, so I'll do it like, oh, I want to I see the works of the Holy Spirit. Or I want to I read the whole Bible with the idea of the covenants in mind. If you are unsure or you're unclear or you're not familiar with the sufferings of God's people, I would encourage you, do it. Read the Bible cover to cover with the mindset, trying to focus, trying to find all of the places in which God's people suffer... And then what is God's response to that? Now I do, let's look at one in particular. Go to Exodus chapter 2 with me for a moment. This is one of the more famous sufferings of the nation of Israel. Exodus 2, 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Hear this, this is really important. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. If you are tempted to think that God is not listening, that he is not paying attention, it's untrue. God knows exactly what is happening. He knows exactly, but, but... How long does it take before God responds to this prayer? What's, what happens at the, at, at the next, right? Moses is a baby, right? And he's 40 years, and then he's 40 years in exile. It's presumably 80 years from the time that the people are bringing this cry up to God that he responds to this. God doesn't work. On our timetable, we might pray and think, okay, you got a week, right? It, it, that's sometimes the temptation we have. God, I know you hear me. Okay, I, I get all of that. I believe all of that. So here it is. Here's my request. And, you, and I need you to respond like tomorrow. Maybe this afternoon if, you, if you're not busy, right? This is sometimes the attitude that we take on. And it's not healthy. And it's not, I don't think it's biblical. Paul tells us, that the sufferings that we have, we look to the future, and that's where our hope lies. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. The second thing is that we should not be shaken by it. So if we expect it, and we know it's coming, then our faith should stand strong in the midst of that suffering, right? Easier said than done. 
Right? This is a logical thing. Um, it, it doesn't always play out that way. That's, that's what I think we would all hope to happen when, when life comes crashing down around us. We hope that our faith is going to stay strong and there's no doubt and our faith, like, there, there's no questioning of God, but the temptation is there, right? And we even fall into that temptation. But if we expect it, we should be asking God that we wouldn't be shaken by it, that our faith would not be moved in those moments of extreme trauma or extreme grief or extreme loss. Now, it's instinct to want to complain. It's instinct to want to question God's goodness when these things are happening. However, we are given here this really wonderful inspiration, right, on how to deal with it. How do we allow our faith to be strong in the midst of this? Do we focus on the suffering? Do we wallow and sit and look at it and say, well, this is the part of it that I don't deserve, and why would you do this, and why would you do this, and what about this part? And we, That's not what Paul is telling us. Where do we look? Where do we find our hope? Where do we find our inspiration? In the future hope. In the fact that there will come a day when creation is no longer subject to the futility and to the corruption that it is subject to right now. Now we don't have a direct command here, right? But we are commanded in a way that we would have to be patient in this, right? That we are being told that we are to sit with eager longing for the day that the sons of God are revealed. And so this is what God is calling us to, right? We should expect it to come. We should be able to weather that storm, and we ask God to give us strength in those storms to weather it. And then the third thing, oh, let me just say one thing here. I think under this, right, this idea that we wouldn't be shaken, one thing that, at least for me, that, that brings about the most question of faith is when I, when I try to compare my sufferings with, ever, with what ever, everybody else is doing, right? You look on the internet, nobody posts the photos of themselves where they're like fighting with each other, right? All the family photos you see, it looks like everything is going really, really well because what do we say? They posed for the photo, if that photographer had followed that, your friends around all day long, like the photo that you see on Facebook would look a little bit different, right? The story is not exactly what we see. And so we look around and we think, why am I suffering? And it looks like everybody else is just having the time of their lives. Like everybody else, their life is perfect. Their family is perfect. And just, just like you know, if there was a camera in your house all of the time, seeing all of the interactions that you have in your life, you would know that people would not look on you and think that. And so I, don't compare yourself with other people with the notion thinking like everybody else, like their life is great. Why is it only me, right? Why am I the only one who is suffering? This promise that it's coming, it's, it's not just you. It's not just me. It's all of us, right? We're all suffering through something, and we're all going to suffer through something. And the third thing, and this one is a little harder for us, um, but that we should not expect relief. So what we have here, at least not in this life, right, not in this moment, we should not expect relief from the suffering that we have in this moment. So once again, we pray and we ask God, but we don't expect him to do something because Paul doesn't say here, look, have hope in tomorrow because tomorrow the suffering will be gone. No, he says, have hope for the future in which the sons of God are revealed. That is a long way from now. 
Right? We talk about evangelism in the sense that we don't know who is saved. Right? I don't know who the sons of God are. They haven't been revealed to me. I can have conversations with you, and you can tell me things, and I can tell you things, and I can be fairly pretty sure about who is a believer and who is not based off of their testimony and the things that they say that they believe. But really, at the end of the day, I cannot know. And you can't know about me, and we can't know about each other. It has not been revealed. There will come a day... When the sons of God have been revealed. There will come a day when later we see the full adoption happens. But that is not today. And I don't know. I don't think that's going to be tomorrow. Right? I don't know. Jesus is coming one day. Maybe this afternoon. I don't know. Right? But the hope is not that God is going to fix your problem tomorrow. But in the new creation. When the sons of God are revealed. When the adoption is fully realized. That's when. That's what we're hoping for. So if you're sitting around waiting for God, expecting him to take away the suffering that you have, it may not happen. And we shouldn't expect him to, right? We ask him to, and I'm going to say that like 50 times, because I want you to recognize that, I mean, even Jesus in the garden asked God to take it away. But he says, once again, right, my will be done, or your will be done, but not mine, right? That is the attitude that we have. I'm not telling you don't ask God to to, to take away the sufferings that you have. But when he doesn't, and if he doesn't, we still praise his name. We still give glory to him. We still love him. Our faith is still strong, even in those moments. And so we shouldn't expect God to take away the suffering. We shouldn't expect relief. I heard this statement this week as I was reading and studying um, and, you know, it was, it was another pastor, and he was sort of preaching about this idea of suffering, and he was talking about this situation where, you know, a, a young woman goes into the hospital, she's a mother of five with like a one-year-old, and, um, you know, and she doesn't make it, right? She's there for three days, she passes away, um, and he said, he, you know, he, pre- he preached a funeral, and, and um, some of the people from the hospital came to this funeral and said to him, I have never seen this before. And they didn't mean that a young mother came, you know, came in and, and passed away. The, if you work in a hospital, right, I've only been there two years, and I've seen lots and lots of people in my chaplaincy as a, as, at the hospital. Just like we, Nobody expected this person to pass, and then all of a sudden, they're just gone. Right? The, those kinds of things happen. The nurses were speaking about the faith and the love and the glory that was being given to God. And he made this statement. He said, sometimes it's, it's in God's glory. It, it's best for God's glory to heal a sick person. But most of the time, it's in God's glory. It's best for God's glory for a sick person to die well. That the family members, that those who are there grieving would still give glory and honor to the Lord even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of grief. Because guess what? We're all going to die, right? There's no escaping this. How, are we, how is it going to happen? How are we going to treat that? How are we, when that last bout of suffering comes to us, what are we going to do? Are we going to glorify God's name or are we going to complain? Are we going to say, God, why would you do this? How could you do this? I don't deserve this. I deserve better. None of that is helpful. None of that brings glory to God. But when we say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be his name, no matter what is going on, this is the response. We should not be surprised by it. We should not be shaken by it. And we should not expect relief. And the fourth thing is that we should not be trying to fix it. Now, what I, I don't mean is, well, then let's, hands off, let's go make a monastic community, right? We'll just do our own thing, right? All the things that Dennis was just talking about in the jail, those are all 
amazing things and worth our time and effort, right? We want to keep giving money to that, and we want to volunteer to do those things. But we recognize that it's not like there's a magic number that we can give to the jail ministry and then, oh, no more crime. Right? It's not like there's a magic number that we can give and there will be no more poverty or that there will be no, no more evil in the world. That is not how it works. Jesus tells us very clearly, we will always have the poor with us. You can build as many homeless shelters as you want. There will be homeless people. You can give away as many canned goods, canned goods as you want. There will still be people who are hungry. We should go, we should do those things. They're good and wonderful and beneficial things, but we don't put our hope in them. We don't think, well, politics is going to save us. If we can get, just get the right person as our senator, as our president, then that we're finally, there's gonna, that's going to be the thing that fixes this world. You should be informed voters, right? You should go out and vote, and you should do those things, and you should be active and trying to, to lobby for laws that are closer to God's law than what we have now. But we never walk away thinking, if we could just get this thing passed, man, that's going to solve it all. How many of you were overjoyed, right, a couple of years ago when we heard that Roe v. Wade is overturned on a federal level, right? I mean, it's a glorious thing. There are innocent babies who are being saved because that law has been overturned. Praise God, he is doing something. But it didn't stop abortion, right? None of us were naive enough to think that changing one law was going to stop the evil of abortion. It's there. We still pray about it, but we know that the only thing that is going to stop the innocent murdering of children is Jesus coming back. The new creation. This thing that Paul says that we are hoping for beyond anything else. So let's work, right? Let's better our community. Let's do these things. Let's go and give canned goods and let's share the gospel with people. Let's do these things because they're important. But we, we have to recognize that this is not going to be the thing that fixes this world. You see, God doesn't say that, in, that the thing we're hoping for is a restored creation, that this world is somehow going to come. No, this thing is corrupted and beyond saving. There is a new creation. We are going to a new heaven and a new earth, right? That is when all of these things, that is when the suffering is going to be gone and done with. Not before. That's why Paul says that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for that day in the future with the new creation. There's one really interesting thing that Jesus says that kind of lays this out for us really well. He has a man come to him and say, look, Jesus, I want to I follow after you. And his response to him is, foxes have holes, birds of the nest, they, I mean, birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, Jesus is essentially homeless, right? I mean, they're going around and they're taking donations, but they're just wandering around ministering to people. After he says this, it's not like Jesus has an epiphany be like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't have a house. I should probably try and fix that. And he, he is totally okay with the fact that, he, that this is what they are doing. And when he goes around, he can conjure up food and he can conjure up money anytime he wants. Right? He is the God of the universe. He was there when the Father co- created the entire universe with his voice. He could do the same thing if he wanted to. And he doesn't do it, right? Because that's not the point. Jesus tells us, and he knows that we will always have the poor. This is a part of this world. This is a part of the suffering that is happening on this planet. And so when we think about our suffering, these are the ways in which I think we should think about them. I think Paul is, is, is teaching us this, right? That we should, we should expect them, 
We should stand firm when they come, right? That it shouldn't shake us. We should not expect relief and that we should not think that we can fix it. And so then we get to the rest of what he is saying here. This very interesting language, right? This idea that the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, for our adoptions as sons. Now, admittedly, when I read this the first time this week, my first question was like, wait a minute. Hadn't that already happened? Like, um, ha- haven't I already been adopted? Like, haven't, hasn't God revealed that I, that I am a son of God? And I guess I said this earlier, but like, this idea that it, 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 it became obvious. Right? This has not happened in its entirety. This is not fully it has not been fully revealed. We don't fully understand. And I ask you this, or I say this because, do you feel as if you have been fully adopted into God's family? Like, do you feel like a true brother and sister of Christ in the way in which you would expect to act as his brother or sister? You see, we're trying, we're doing good, but we're failing on a regular basis. And so when we think about it, it's like this idea of the already and the not yet, right? We... It's true, and yet it has not been fully realized for us. We are adopted, but we are not fully adopted. We are sons of God, but we have not been fully revealed. Because what it means to be a full son or daughter of God means that no more disobedience. right? And so it's a promise that we are hoping for for the future that has not been realized in us yet. There's also another interesting question, because I think my whole childhood, like going to church, and, and people sort of quoted this, these verses as, like, the world is groaning, you know, and, and I, I don't, I think people used it in the terms of, like, well, when a hurricane comes, like, that's part of the world's corruption, and the world is groaning, and these things are happening, um, and I don't know that that's wrong, uh, I, I mean, I got to be honest with you, like, I don't know exactly if Paul is speaking of only humanity or if he is speaking of all, like, rocks and hills and all that. I know that it's not foreign to the Bible to personify those things, right? If you look at Isaiah 35, the very first verse, Isaiah says, the hills and the mountains cry out with joy. And then I think it's Isaiah 55, he says, Oh, I'm sorry, the, Isaiah 35, 1 says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. And then it's Isaiah 55 where he says, The mountains and the hills shall break out into singing. So throughout the Old Testament, quite regularly, creation itself, rocks and trees and things like that, are personified. And so I think there is a level of corruption in those things that is reaching out. But really... The thing that I'm taking away or the thing that I, that I understand from this is that Paul is making a point that this is going to be such a glorious day that the day when the sons of God are fully revealed, that the day when our adoption is fully realized by us in the new creation, it is so important, it is so glorious that he is making personification, right? Even the mountains and even the trees and even the hills are going to be excited. That's how glorious this is going to be. That's how good this day is going to be. That even creation itself is crying out. There's coming a day when creation will no longer groan. It will no longer be corrupted. There's coming a day when all sickness and pain and sorrow and grief and sin will be destroyed. There's coming a day when when the suffering that we endure now will be gone. 
that we will be in full unity with Christ, that we will be full unity with God. I mean, in that new creation, there is no more sun and moon, right? God is at the center and he provides light for all of this creation. That is how close we are going to be with him. We are going to be in full communion with him. No more separation of any kind. Right now, even in our salvation, we have full access to God, right? We can go to him. We can pray to him. The fact that he listens to us is a miracle in and of itself. That he hears us. That we have that level of access to the Father, to God who created everything with his voice. But yet, we feel the disconnect, right? We recognize that there is a lot of faith going on. I have never seen God in the flesh. There is a lot of faith to believe that he is truly there. There's coming a day when faith is gone, when you won't need it, right? When Paul says to us, there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because there's coming a day when you don't need faith anymore, when you won't be hoping for something better anymore. In the new creation, all there will be is love. Faith and hope are gone. You're there. You're seeing God. You don't have to hope for anything better than what you are experiencing in that moment. There's only love left. That is what we're looking forward to. So when we suffer now, that is the thing in which we are hoping for. And so we hope. In our suffering, we hope. In our sinfulness, we hope. In our trials and our tribulations, we hope. We hope for what we have not seen because we know that it's coming. It has been guaranteed to us, promised to us by God. If you think back to that verse in Exodus chapter 2, why does God save the people? Is it because Israel's the good guy and Egypt's the bad guy? What did he say? I'm coming because I remember my covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When God makes a promise, he does not back off of it. He will not shirk it. He, his promises are as good as gold, right? Anything that he promises us, we can set it in stone. This is going to happen. We can place all of our assurance on it. And this is why we hope for the promises that God has given to us. We will live in the new creation one day. It is a guarantee. But for now, we suffer. So in our suffering, don't complain. Don't question God. Don't let your faith be weakened. But look to God. Hope for the future. Do not lose it, right? Because God's promises are real and they are true and they are guaranteed for everyone who believes in him. And so the last question this morning is then, do you believe in Jesus? Is that where your hope is found? If you're here this morning and your hope is in yourself, if your hope is in your goodness, if you're thinking, well, God is probably there and heaven is probably there and I'm just hoping that when I get there, he'll be like, well, you didn't, you know, the, the big three, right? You didn't rob a bank, you didn't murder anybody and you didn't cheat on your wife. Like, I guess, you're, I guess you get to come in. If that's where your hope is found, you have no hope. That hope will fail you. When you stand before the Lord, he's not going to say, well, you know, you, were, you did a pretty good job, so I guess I'll let you, maybe I'll let you sneak in the back door. No, he's going to say, get away from me, right? He can't be in, in the presence of sin. And so we don't place our hope in ourself. We place our hope in Christ. You see, all of those laws that God has revealed to us, Christ fulfilled them perfectly. 
he grants that perfection, that righteousness to anybody who believes in him. And so we cry out to God, we repent of our sins, and we ask him to forgive us. And the Bible says that God is faithful to forgive anybody who asks him. So I implore you this morning, if your hope is in yourself, if your hope is in something else, anything else other than God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, if your hope is in anything else other than those things, repent, believe, ask God to forgive you, and he will. And this hope that Paul talks about here, that is not only going to cure us, but all of creation can be yours. You will never have to wonder again what's going to happen after I die. You will never have to wonder again if God loves you because you will look to the cross every time and be like, of course he does. Look what he did for me. He sent Jesus and Jesus obediently goes and dies on a cross so that we can be saved. So I implore you this morning, Look to the future. Have hope in the promises of God. Don't let the sufferings of today ruin the thing that you know to be true that is coming in the future. All right, let us pray. Father God, we love you. And we are so grateful for your word. Lord, oftentimes we are not grateful for our sufferings. We struggle with it. We struggle with understanding it. Lord, I ask that you would grant us a deeper faith. Lord, that you would give us more trust in you. Lord, that when the suffering comes, that we would look to the future, that we would look to the new creation, that we would place our hope where you have called us to place it. the day when you will truly reveal us as your sons and daughters, that we will be perfect in your sight, that there will be no more sin and suffering and death and pain and sorrow and all of the things that plague us here on this earth. Father, we thank you that you have given us the assurance and you have promised those things that we can stand firm on those, even in the midst of a bad day, a bad week, a bad year. Lord, that when we suffer, we look to you, we look to your goodness as our only hope. We love you, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.